Father God, we thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. For that reason and that reason alone, we can have salvation. For that reason and that reason alone, we can have heaven when we pass away. So God, as we break open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and will just speak in the way that you choose to today, uh, that you will be, uh, do what you do in the business of guiding and reproving and convicting and, and encouraging and lifting us up in our walk with you for those who are walking with you and those who uh, need to take that step in 2018, that first step of salvation. So God, we, uh, we love you and we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor and we do boast only in your name in all that we do. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you hear last week, we ended 2017 uh, by briefly looking back, but by, by more so looking forward into 2018, where I, I, I tried to offer you a, a charge or, or really a, 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 a really tried to encourage you to, in the time to come, to, to, to live wise and work hard all while trusting God. And, and I called that Work the Plan, the beginning of this two-week series, Work the Plan. And, and I said this, this long kind of meaty sentence, but, but let me say this slowly just to offer. This is how I capped it all off for you. Guys, I said, in 2018, I said, start something with God-directed enthusiasm and faith, and then work diligently with integrity day in and day out, because you never know what good things will happen. So we never know what good things will happen when we're working hard and we're trusting God. Head down, get it done. Let God take care of the outcome. Let God take care of handing out the blessings. And what I tried to do and tried to offer you is really give you biblical permission to work hard and succeed in all areas of your life. That as a Christian and your Christian witness, to be a person who works hard and trusts God and is not afraid of succeeding. And I called this simply work the plan. So today, as we step into January, I'd like to begin by helping us launch into the new year with a, a follow-up message connected to that that I'm simply calling hope in action. So hope in action. So we, we make a plan, we start a plan, we work the plan, we trust God, and we put our hope in action of what we hope to accomplish and who we hope to be. Because I hope that your dreams, I hope that your plans, I hope that what you look for in the coming days are good things. I hope that you want to grow. I hope you want to get deeper in your faith. I hope, hope you want to grow closer as a family. I hope you want to move forward. So as we begin this new year, most of us want to be better, don't we? Most of us want to be generally better. I mean, it's kind of in the heart of beat of this time of year and where generally people want to get better and in generally four different categories. And I'll give those to you quickly. Four different categories most of the time that people are going to want to get better this time of year. And the first one is relationally. I want to get better relationally. I want to learn to love my wife better or love my kids better or love my parents better or have better friends or I want to get better financially. I want, to, I want to finally break the paycheck to paycheck cycle. I finally want to conquer debt. Or maybe I want to get better physically. Maybe I, I really want to work off those Christmas cookies or all those Christmas buffets. I need to get rid of those because year after year, they're kind of building on. So I want to get rid of those and improve physically. 
Or maybe I want to improve spiritually. I want this to be the year that I finally grow closer to God and I finally commit to reading the whole Bible. And I know some of you guys did that last year when you got the one-year Bibles, and I hope that you were successful with that. But of all those areas, most of us want to get better in at least one of those areas, if not all of them. So I'd like to ask you as we start here to pause for a second and consider how you would fill out the first blank that I offered you on your bulletin, which is this year I hope to. This year I hope to. Now this is one of those trick fill in the blanks because a lot of times you come, you sit down at church and you're like, okay, I'm going to try and guess what all these are. But here's the trick. This one doesn't have an answer. This one's not provided. This is an answer that you have to prayerfully consider what you're going to put there. This is all on you as we begin this message and as we begin this year. This year, I hope to. Now, here's the caveat. This is not a resolution. I'm not asking you to put down your resolution. This is not a goal. I'm not asking you to put down your goal. What do you hope for this year? What improvements do you need to make? What do you hope for this year? Because most of us want to be better. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've never, I've never met a person who would openly admit that they want to get worse. Have, have you met a person who's like, I, I want to get worse? I mean, I've, I've met some people here and there that, that based on the way they talk and live and act and, 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 and handle situations, I think, you know, you're not going to say it out loud, but I think you're trying to ruin your life. Like, I mean, if I really break it down, you're trying to, you're trying to get worse, but they're not going to admit that out loud. See, I think of those, I think of those direct TV commercials. Do you see those where the pe- bad things happen to people and like the girl sits in gum and she's stuck to the chair and she's just howling. She just thinks that's so fun that she got stuck to the chair and ruined her pants. See, see nobody, nobody says this year I hope to gain 50 pounds and go up a few pant sizes. That's, that's my kind of year. Like I just, I want a bigger belt, you know? Like this is gonna be great. Or say this year I hope, I really hope I blow through all my savings and go another $30,000 into debt. This is my kind of year. Oh, that's so good. Or you know, my marriage has been pretty good lately, but I really hope this is the year it finally blows up. Or you know, you know I, I love that, that God has set me free from, from my sins, but I really hope this is the year that the devil drags me back into my old way of life. I just really want to backslide real hard this year. So no, no, we don't say those things. We don't think those things. We might do things that invoke those things, but, but we want to get better. We want to get better. But here's the thing, though. I want us to realize that hope, when you fill in this line, hope in and of itself changes nothing, nothing. Actions do, actions do. Hope can be a catalyst for change, but actions are what make hope realized. It makes us experience, because I can hope my way, I, see, I, I can't hope my way to the finish line of a marathon, but I can train myself to the finish line of a marathon. But if the only running that I do wears a path between my, my, my sofa and my fridge, then I'm training in the wrong direction, right? And, and that's obvious, but we've got to put our hope in action. And the Bible talks about this. So as we begin, I want to say this. See, this is, this is not New Year's resolution message. This is not motivational speech message. This is not even goal-setting strategy message. Although these are things that are healthy and these are things that you should do. But this is, what does the Word of God say about putting our hope in action? 
What does the word of God say about the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that we have for becoming a holier people, becoming a more Christ-like Christ follower, and how do we put that into action? I'll start with this. We see it here in the book of 1 Peter, um, verses 1, 13 through 14. This is the message version today. Because I like how this one gives it to us straight. It says, Peter writes, So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better back then, but you do now. Now there's other versions that say that a lot more poetically and with more depth of words, but I like how that just kind of lays it out there. And sometimes that's a good time to read the message. It's like, it's like a commentary. It's okay, what's this say? Just give it to me straight. But roll up your sleeves and, and put your mind in gear. This means prepare for action and exercise self-control and self-discipline. So set your hope and then get ready to live out your hope and do that through some self-discipline. Now, what is discipline really mean? What's it look like to put our hope in action with discipline? Here's my definition of discipline for you today. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. So for example, I may... I may want to do nothing but watch football and drink Pepsi and eat a, an entire crock pot full of hot chicken dip and an entire box of Little Debbie zebra cakes because I love those things and just sit on the couch all day. This is what I want to do now. This is how I want to watch the Buffalo game this afternoon. That's what I want to do. But what I want to do most is I want to be fit and healthy so I can enjoy my life. So if I do that all the time, I'm going backwards. Now, I may want to spend every evening when I come home from work working on my own hobbies and doing things that are just all about me feeling good and all about me doing things that I enjoy. I want to do that now. I want to do that when I get home from work. But what I want most is to have a healthy relationship with my wife and kids, which means that a lot of those evenings I need to sit me aside and focus on building those relationships See, I may want to put my wife in a brand spanking new, uh, fresh off the lot minivan right now, even though it would drive her nuts. But what I want most is to drive debt free and live without the burden of debt. That's more important to me than the brand new minivan in the driveway. See, it's about choosing what you want most over what you want now. It's discipline. Now in our church, as we fulfill our mission as a church to, to make and to guide fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, whenever that happens, whenever, whenever you or a friend or a family member takes that first step and, and commits their life to Christ, gives their heart to Jesus, that's seeing hope take action. And whenever you've been a Christian for a few years and, and you, you, you're getting closer to Christ and you're growing in your faith and you fully surrender and you make God Lord of your life, that's hope in action. That's seeing God move and change people's lives. That's not just, hey, I said a cute prayer. Now I know I'm going to heaven, so that's my hope. I hope my prayer sticks 80 years from now whenever I die. No, that's, that's just sit there and hope. But hope in action is I'm gonna live out my faith every day. I'm gonna seek God day after day after day. So today, I wanna look at 
this from the story of a man by the name of Nehemiah in the Old Testament that many of you will be familiar with. If you're not, that's okay, because we're going to walk through it here uh, in some summaries and highlights. But in the Old Testament, uh, in the story of Nehemiah, I want to give you three ways, kind of three stepping stones to put your hope in action as we progress into 2018. So the first thing that you need to know is you've got to define the problem. We've got to define the problem. We've got to admit that there is a problem. We've got to find the problem and admit that it is a problem. And we see this in Nehemiah's life. Uh, And here's the situation. Here's what's going on. Nehemiah was was a Jewish man uh, during a time of exile from Jerusalem. And he was living in the kingdom of Persia and he was in service to King to the Persian king Artaxerxes. And his role in the kingdom was uh, as the cupbearer. So he was a cupbearer, which meant that he not only served the king cups of wine, but more importantly and, and more risky, his job was to taste the wine before he gave it to the king. So that's risky because there was that risk that it could be poison. I mean, we've seen this uh, we've, we've all seen this where he was that guy that had to drink the wine and, 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 and there's some, sure there's some benefits to that is the guy gets to sip the wine every time the king wants a cup of wine. But the bad side is if it is poison, he's the guy that loses his life. So uh, we see Nehemiah define the problem in the first chapter of Nehemiah after 70 years of exile, after 70 years of the Jews being away from their homeland, away from Jerusalem, Nehemiah had some friends that had just returned from Jerusalem and he wanted to know, hey, what's going on back there? How are things? How are the people that are returning? How are the people that stayed and have survived through all of that has been going on? How are things going on? And Nehemiah writes in verse three, he says, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is bad news right up front. He wants to know what's going on and he gets some bad news. And it's important to note the significance of a wall in in a city, (coughs) excuse me, during that time period. See, this was, the wall was so important because the wall was the greatest protection that they had. It was the the security that they had from their enemies. See, nowadays we build we build fighter jets and we put up satellites and we watch everybody and, and we build rifles and, and, and we build tanks and we protect ourselves. And back then what they had was a wall. And Jerusalem at this moment was lacking in that. And the people living there, because of that, they're vulnerable. They're at risk because their enemies could just easily come in and attack them whenever they wanted to. But when Nehemiah heard that, You see, he didn't just say, I hope things get better back there and then go about drinking his poison wine and like everything's good, right? No, no, he heard that and he defined the problem. So my question to you today is today you might need to define a problem. You might need to define a problem in your life. Maybe a problem that you've had for years, maybe a problem that has crept up, maybe a problem that you haven't even realized yet is a problem, something that is holding you back in your walk with Christ or holding you back from giving it all to Christ, something that is stealing your joy. Are you ready to define the problem? Are you ready to admit 
the struggle. Now, this was the case for Nehemiah. See, the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down for 152 years. 152 years, and nobody had taken care of it. But whenever he realized it, he said, this is a disgrace. The people there are in trouble. When he realized it, he said, people are in trouble. So <clears throat> there's no doubt that, that maybe for you at, over the years, there's been something, a problem or a struggle or something that you've just wanted to fix, but you've just never been able to kind of get over that hump. You feel like, like you're like, I need, I know that I know the problem, but 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 it's like I'm like the yo-yo of self-discipline, right? I'm all in or I'm all out. I just can't get through this. And you say, you know, and you sit there and you think about it, you say, you know, as much as you don't want to admit it, your marriage is not as healthy as it should be. Maybe that's the problem. Or perhaps you never thought that a substance could have so much control over your life, but it's holding you back and it's tearing you apart. It's stealing family members. For some of you, maybe it's admitting that you need help with depression. Or maybe, maybe I know, and I can say this because I know it is a humongous problem across our nation. Maybe pornography for you started as a simple joke between middle schoolers. And now it's become this secret, uncontrollable addiction that you just can't keep from controlling your mind. So listen, you cannot defeat what you do not define. You can't defeat what you don't name. So you, you gotta call it out. You gotta make it clear. You gotta look yourself in the mirror and say, this is the problem. This is the problem. You've gotta say, my life is not as joyful. My life is not as abundant. My life is not as fulfilled as I know that God has in store for me, that God has intended for me. And I just figured out this is the problem. Are you ready to name the problem? Because when you name the problem, then one day, just like Nehemiah, you turn the page and you see with God's help, we must rebuild this wall. With God's help, I'm gonna rebuild my life. And from this point forward, it's gonna be different. I'm gonna walk around with the badge of Christian and I'm gonna know that I am serving Christ. Not because I'm perfect, but because I'm striving for holiness. I'm striving to be Christ-like by his grace. So instead of telling yourself, I can't beat this, I've tried before. You gotta turn the page and say, okay, I just decided I need to pursue my spouse more if I want my marriage to be great. Or you say, you know, because I'm tempted to look at inappropriate stuff and I haven't been able to stop putting, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put filters on every single online device that I own. Everything I own that could connect to the internet is gonna have a filter on there. And, and if, it, if, if I have to, I'm gonna make that thing notify every single person in my life that I would be embarrassed to have hear about that. Even if that's my own grandmother, she's gonna get an email if I go to an inappropriate site. I'm gonna make this happen. Whatever it takes. Or say, I'm gonna make God and church a priority because I need to. I'm committing to read God's word every day. I'm gonna get one of those one-year Bibles and I'm gonna do it because I know I need to feed myself. See, you just gotta say, this has gone on long enough. I'm turning a page. It's time to be different. I wanna be new. I wanna start over. I wanna start fresh. Are you ready to define the problem? Are you ready to fill in the blank? 
You see, things in life can be so painful and so unstable and so rocky for so long that it becomes just normal to us. It becomes just kind of what we do and we, we get numb to it and we don't even realize that we're in great trouble. We don't even realize that it's a disgrace to who we wanna be and who we represent. See, these are walls in our lives that are broken down and we're vulnerable and our spiritual enemy, the evil one, is coming in and he's attacking us. He's attacking us. He's attacking us. But I want you to be encouraged today because it's in the places of our biggest problems that we can experience God's greatest victories. It's in the days that we confess, say, hey God, I need you. I'm broken, I'm lost. This sin started small, but now it's big green and ugly. And it's consuming my life. And I'm tired of being a Christian who walks around with this on my back. So the first thing we gotta do is we gotta define the problem. Admit that there is a problem and define it. <clears throat> the second thing that we gotta do that Nehemiah did is we gotta diligently seek God. We've gotta diligently seek God. Nehemiah, the very next verse, Nehemiah continues to write and he says, when I heard this, so when I heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, when I heard all this terrible news, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days, in fact, for days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Wow. I mean, when he realizes that there's a problem, he has this overwhelming reality of sadness to the point that he sits down and then he gets on his knees and he prays and he fasts for days on end. Now, the moment when he defined the problem, Jerusalem is in great trouble and disgrace, he diligently took it to the one who could help him. He didn't just say, come on, guys, what are we gonna do? He took it to the one who could help him. He reached out to the higher power, reached out to God. So when you decide that you're gonna do something about a problem that you've, that you've defined, you've gotta get God's help. You gotta say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't walk this road on my own. I gotta get your help. Now I'll share an experience I've had in um, my 20s. I, I try to be a little vulnerable up here, but not too crazy vulnerable because I don't wanna get weird on you guys. But um, when I was in my 20s, sometime between college and 30, um, I went through a, a season of, uh, of some, some depression that was, I just... I just kind of like, just kind of like hit a wall, you know, and everything was kind of, kind of, kind of stagnant for me. And, and, and I eventually found the root sins that were causing this because there were some times when, you know, this is a time period in my life where, you know, I just really, and you guys know me, right? I'm a people person. I, I like people. Like if I spend too much time in my office in a given week, I'm, I'm starving for conversation. Like I, I need to go out and do things. I need to get around you guys. But there was a time period where I, had, I wanted nothing to do with people. I wanted nothing to do with church. I wanted nothing to do with work. See, I, I went to work and then I went home and I just sat alone at home and I, in the dark and watched TV and ate junk food and gained weight. That was, that was, a, that was the year I hit my personal best. All right? I mean, I was setting records. I was hitting century marks I didn't ever think I could get to. But that was a tough year. But eventually it all came to a head and I realized that I wanted to 
live. I didn't want to hide, so I recommitted my life to Christ, and I realized that he had been pursuing me all along, and I gave my life back to Christ, and, and I started reading his word again. I started seeking him again. I got one of those one-year Bibles, and I devoured it, and, and, and his light broke through the darkness, and he set me free from the prison of depression and from that spiritual dry place that I was walking in. See, when you diligently seek God, it will change how you think and the motives of your heart will lead you to new actions. You gotta make the choice. And you might have a similar experience whenever maybe there was a turning point in your life where you came back to God or you, you made a change. See, maybe sometimes for a lot of people, maybe, maybe when your first child was born, it was kind of the wake-up call. You say, you know what? I'm gonna get my house in order. I gotta raise this kid the way I think that he should live his life. Or, or maybe it was, maybe it was that, that, one, that one late payment notice that you received, that late payment fee, or maybe that eviction notice that kind of knocked you on the head and you say, okay, enough is enough. I don't want to live like this. There's no freedom in my life. Or possibly it was the substance abuse that was fun for a while and it started to become a problem and you noticed that it was starting to steal things from your wife or from your life, but then all of a sudden, maybe someone really close to you said, hey, if you go back to that, I'm done with you. And they meant it and they did it. And that was the moment where you said, this really is ruining my life. It's time to walk away. So you are determining that this is the hope that you're putting in action. You're ready to seek God and his power to help you change. You're ready to let his light break through the darkness and seek him out. You see, this is the beginning of what happened to, to Nehemiah. He started to fast and he started to pray and he started to seek God. And then he goes to the king that he worked for, a Persian king who had zero reason, zero, no reason to care at all about Nehemiah. He was just his cupbearer. No reason at all. I mean, in fact, he cared about him so little that he was okay with him dying if the wine was poisoned. Like, it did not matter to him. He'd just get a new cupbearer. But he also had no reason to care about the people in Jerusalem. He wasn't Jewish. He didn't care. It mattered nothing to him. But whenever through Nehemiah prayed and fasted and then he went to the king and the king had compassion on him. And the king not only said, go help your people rebuild the wall, but he also said, what do you need? I'm gonna help you fund it. Let's do this. And he got to go and God gave him favor in that. Now it would have been easy. It would have been easier for Nehemiah not to do any of this. It would have been really easy for Nehemiah to hear about what's happening in Jerusalem and just say, boy, that's terrible. I feel bad. I'm gonna go home. Let me, write, let me write a detailed Facebook post about how awful this problem is and then go, go back to work. I'm just gonna share that and move on. See, after all, it, what, he wasn't a mason. He wasn't a builder. He was a professional drinker, right? That's what he did. See, he could have every doubt flood his mind of why he's not qualified. You may be able to look at your problem that you're defining in your mind and relate to how he feels and say, I've started before and I always fail. If I'm good at anything, it's not finishing stuff. See, I don't have what it takes. I'm not qualified to do anything. But that's exactly why it's imperative that we diligently seek God. Because God doesn't always call the equipped. He equips the called. 
And the only thing we're called to do is to diligently seek him and let him lead us and fill in those gaps. So Nehemiah diligently sought God and took ownership of the problem so he could also own the solution with God's help. He knew he couldn't do it alone. Now think about your current habits in your life. What's one change that you could make today that would put you on a path that God intended for you? Let me briefly hit the same areas that I started with, those four. See, imagine what you could do for the kingdom of God if you were physically healthier. Imagine if your health didn't hold you back. See, who could you bless or how could you honor God or how how many ministries could you support if you were financially free? If every dollar that you made didn't already have most of it allotted for things that you wanted now instead of what you wanted most? How much more could you do for the kingdom of God if you weren't so in over your head that you couldn't give? See, if your relationship with Christ was stronger, how much bolder could you be as a witness? If you were on your knees in prayer and studying God's word and filling your cup every morning, how much more confident would you be when you saw an opportunity to speak with a coworker about Christ? How much better would you be? Or how much better, how much more confident would you be in, in sitting down couple to couple with a couple that's struggling in their marriage if you know that you've been putting in the work to make sure that you have an outstanding marriage? How much more confident could you be? See, when we realize that God has given us everything that we need to do everything that he wants us to do, our lives begin to change. He's given us everything we need to pull off what he's called us to do. How do we put hope in action? We gotta define the problem. We gotta diligently seek God. And the last one I give you is, you gotta do the work. Oh man, right? You gotta do the work. Now, if you were here last week, you remember last week, I, I ended with work hard and trust God. We gotta work hard and trust God with the outcome. We gotta put in the time, we gotta put in the labor and say, God, we gotta put in the commitment and say, God, you're gonna take care of this. If it's gonna fly or it's gonna fall, it's I'm gonna let that out to you because I'm gonna work so hard in my strength that it's gonna fly. But I know that it's not gonna fly if you don't do it. So I'm gonna work like it all depends on me, but I'm gonna trust knowing that it really all depends on God anyway. He's gonna determine that. So Nehemiah did this when he got to Jerusalem. After inspecting the damage to the wall personally and acknowledging the extent of the damage, he gathered all of the leaders in Jerusalem. He went and gathered all the priests and the nobles and the officials, and he said to them this. In chapter 2, 17, he says, You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now the good news is, if you want to change, if you want to put hope in action, if you want to make progress in 2018, you're going to have to do the work. 
That's the good news. You're gonna have to do the work. But the great news is that you're not doing it alone. The great news is that God is with you and other people can be with you and should be with you if you allow them in and allow them to walk with you. But here's, here's the rub. Don't ever think for a minute that your efforts are gonna come without opposition. In fact, if God is in this, if you make a decision to change, there's a good chance that you're gonna come with some extra opposition, you know? If you experience that, if you start to do good things, then, then it seems like the devil is working harder to pull you down. You've been there? See, we see in Nehemiah, there was two men specifically, Sanballat and Tobiah were their names. And, and their, it, it seemed that their goal was to discourage the builders and keep them off track by saying things like, do you really think that you can rebuild all of these stones, with, but rebuild this wall with stones from the trash heap? You guys really think you can pull? I mean, the thing has been like this for 152 years. Are you kidding me? You really think that all of you guys that don't have any idea what you're doing are gonna come over here and rebuild the wall? They were constantly trying to, to, to tear down Nehemiah. And, and, and at one point he was up working on the wall and they asked him to come down to try and distract him and discourage him. And, and this is what he said. I love this. I love his response. He says, so he replied to the message and sent them this message. And he said, I'm engaged in great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I love that. It says, I'm engaged in great work, so I can't come. I'm doing something important, so I can't come down and waste time talking to you. See, when you've defined the problem and you've set out in prayer with the power of the Holy Spirit to take it on, opposition is gonna come your way, mark my words. But when the evil one comes and, and he tells you that you can't do it, What's he gonna say? He's gonna, he's gonna say things. You guys have experienced this, right? He's gonna, he's gonna say things like, do you really think that you can get clean by going to meetings with other sick people? Are you kidding me? You love how that stuff makes you feel. You're never gonna quit. Don't stop, just enjoy it. Or maybe if, if anything in life ever doesn't go your way, you always fly off the handle. That's the way it's always gonna be. Don't ever expect to have control of your temper. You've never been able to control it before. Why would you think you can control it now? It's just who you are. Those are the kind of lies that we hear all the time from Satan. Those aren't the voice of God. That's, that's, that's the evil one giving us ideas and putting these things in our mind. And what do you do? You gotta shake it off. You gotta shake it off. You gotta say, listen, I'm doing great work. I can't come down. I can't quit. Why would I stop working on what God has called me to do to listen to you, Satan? You're living on borrowed time. God's got you on a tight leash. I know who wins in the end, so I'm gonna side with the one who wins in the end. See, yeah, that's, that was the old me. I hear you, Satan. I hear what you're talking about, but that was the old me. The old me was addicted to that. The old me let that control my life. But the new me, no, I've got God on my side right now. I've got God living in me. He's given me everything I need. And with his help, I can rebuild my life. With his help, I can rebuild these walls. I can't quit. Not for you. I got work to do. So as you put your hope in action, you got to become resolute you gotta become resolute in your determination to do this work. Because in Nehemiah's case, as he set out, 
those, to rebuild those walls. That wall had been in ruins for 152 years. And they rebuilt and completed it in only 52 days. 52 days they knocked it out. 52 days and nobody had taken care of that for 152 years. And with God's help, they did something that nobody could have ever imagined that they could do. And whatever problem you're defining and whatever hope you have, God can do the same for you. When you define it and you admit it and you seek him and then you do the work and you take the step, he's with you. Because we need to realize that what God wants to do through us will be limited by what we are unwilling to do. What God wants to do through us will be limited by what we're unwilling to do. So that brings me to this question. Hope takes action. So what tangible steps are you willing to take? What tangible steps are you willing to take once you've defined that problem? Do you need accountability? Do you need a mentor? Do you need a trainer? Do you need a pastor to talk with and pray with? Do you need to carry that problem to the altar and leave it there? Is this the day, is this the year that you want to leave it at the altar and say, I've been carrying this. I carried it all the way through 2017. In fact, I carried it. I can't even think back to when it started. It was probably 19 something that I started with this. And here we are in 2018. It's been almost two decades and I'm still carrying something around that God took to the cross. What am I doing? I wanna live a life of joy. What do you hope for this year? What do you hope to be? What progress do you hope to make? I'll close with, with, with this story for you guys. And then, and then I, do, I do invite you guys, we're gonna sing clean and closing in, in a few minutes here. And I, I do invite you to come up to the altar. Um, Randy's here uh, if you wanna pray with a real, real pastor. And uh, he'll give you some progress. But, um, uh, but um, this isn't a, I'll end with this story. This, this, isn't, a, this isn't a political statement, but um, when George W. Bush was in the White House, um, I kind of liked him, and, and so when he finished uh, his presidency, as most of them do, he, he wrote a book, and his book was um, called Decision Points. I've never read any other politician's book, but for some reason I read this one. I think I liked, I think I was drawn to the title because I was thinking about making decisions in my own life, and, and, and George W. Bush claims to be, uh, and he, he, would, he says this sometimes if he talks, he'll talk about being a born-again Christian. He writes in his book about being a born-again Christian and how that changed his life and the trajectory of his life. But there's, there's one specific time in that book where he's talking about his younger days where uh, he was, he was kind of, I, I don't know the best way to say it, kind of sowing his wild oats. He was, he was young, he was wild, he was doing, uh, he was doing different things, living, living away uh, from the Lord. And I don't know specifically if he was a Christian at this time or not, but um, he was, at the time he was doing a lot of smoking. And, and this isn't even a statement just against smoking, but um, this is just his story. He talks about in his book, the day that he quit smoking, that he defined that as a problem, as something that was controlling his life, as something that was controlling his time and his money and, and, and tearing apart his physical health. And, and he talks in that story about the day that he realized it and he sat the cigarettes down and walked away. And he makes the statement in that book that he fully believes 
that had he not laid those cigarettes down that day and defined it as a problem and said, with God's help, I'm moving on. He said, I wouldn't be president. He said, that, marked, that was a marked day in his life, a marked decision in his life that changed the direct trajectory of the success of his career. And I'm sure that his family and so many other areas of his life were better because of that. So for you, I ask you this. Imagine years down the road from today, somebody saying to you, thank you. For the problem that you're defining, somebody coming to you and saying, thank you for giving that to God. Thank you for leaving that at the altar. Thank you for beating that. Thank you for not living like that. Thank you for the years that we have together because you chose to stay. Thank you for facing your addiction to porn and allowing God to heal you. You are such a person of integrity now. You are such a man of God. Thank you for being honest about your substance abuse. Your journey to being set free inspires me. Thank you for slowing down enough in your, in your career and in your life to prioritize raising me and spending your time with me. I am a, the man or woman that I am today because you loved me when I was little. That's so important. Imagine being told thank you and being able to trace it back to a day where you had victory. Imagine that. That's my prayer for you today. Is that this be the day or this be the year that you get to the end of 2018 and you look back and you say, you know what, 2018 wasn't the year I made a New Year's resolution. It wasn't the year I set a goal, but it was the year that I defined the problem and I went about fixing it with God's help. That's what I want you to see when you look back on 2018. Dave Ramsey always says, and he talks mostly about finances, but it just applies to life too. He always says, you're gonna get your household in order when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So that's my question. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? What's your hope for 2018? What are you ready to leave at the altar? What are you ready to beat with God's help? Worship team's gonna come and we're gonna sing clean and we're here to pray if anybody wants to pray. Let me pray right now. Father God, Father God, you are glorious. Father God, you are a God who loves us as these just completely lost and really nothing but dust and ashes. We came from the dust, we're going back to the dust. We're just a mist and yet you love us and you wanna see us live a life of abundance, a life of fullness, a life of joy. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in here that is not a born again believer today, that this be the day that they lay it all down and say, I want Christ. I've tried everything else. It's not working. I want Christ. And if there are people here who are born again believers that are still lost in sin, and I know that is so common, I pray that this be the day that say, you know what? I'm only getting a portion of the joy that God says I can have in this life. And here's the reason. This is the sin that is holding me back. And it's been six years and I'm sick and tired 
of letting this ruin my life. So God, I pray this is the day that somebody carries it to the altar or carries it to you and says, I'm ready to be free. That's my hope for 2018. And that's my hope for this room. In Jesus' name, amen.